0: Back to the Forwardcast. Um, It's been a while, hasn't it? It's been um, possibly two and a half months, I think. The last Forwardcast episode came out in December 2019. All those many long, heady days ago, and it's now March 2020. Yeah, it's um, it's been a bit of a gap. Sorry about that, guys. Um, What happened with me basically was life. Um, I got these two upcoming episodes recorded um, at the end of December, beginning of January with Martin Hawke and also with uh, Fifth, who's going to be the episode who's coming up soon. And then life happened. Um, I had to move out of the place I was living, uh, relatively short notice. Uh, Things went very well for me at work, but that meant I was basically travelling a lot, all of my stuff went into storage, which included my Yeti microphone and all the stuff I used to make the forward cast. Um, and I have just been run so ragged um, these past two months that I haven't had time to sit down and edit uh, these episodes. I've been able to do the uncultured episodes because that's easy. I just kind of dial in remotely to those, talk for forty minutes, and then leave. But when you've actually got to edit the podcast and sit down and work through all the edits and do that, it just takes—it's a lot more mental energy. Um, And I've either been on the road and away from all my editing gear, um, or I've been either working on stuff or between locations and unable to record. Um, I've been trying to keep up my apologies to the patrons as well. I've been trying to keep up with all the Q and A's I, I usually do on Patreon and I just haven't been able to. Um, now hopefully everything's going to be soothing down. Um, life is steadying out a little bit. Um, it's been a good, been a good few months for me, hopefully, and it's going to, you know, build the, all the energy I've expended these last two months is hopefully going to bear fruit because, you know, one of the things about the forward cast is it's all about, building your XJW life you know after you leave the witnesses and sometimes you need to invest some time and some hard grind in order to give yourself a foundation to build on but hopefully things are coming back to normal Um, you'll see a more regular flow of forward casts to you Uh, my thanks to all the Patreon crowd who've um, stuck with me these past couple of months and my apologies because I know some people um, probably thought I was finished or just walked away from this and stopped their Patreon support, which is, I, I completely understand. I totally get it. I did not communicate well what was going on with me. Um, so it might have looked like I just kind of wandered away bored from this podcast, which really isn't the case. Um, you know, I just been I just had one a couple of those crazy months. So I just want to say thank you to everyone who has been supporting on Patreon. I want to apologise to all the people who didn't get their Patreon rewards in terms of Q and A's uh, answered, um, and also to say I hope hopefully we'll be picking up the pace in terms of the content coming to you, both in terms of the forward cast episodes, and also in terms of all the Patreon extra stuff. But we'll we'll uh, we'll get onto that later. So, after many months of delay, um, I would like to welcome back to the Forwardcast for his second appearance. I believe the only guest so far in the history of the Forwardcast to have been on the show twice, Martin Hawke. So, Martin, welcome back to the Forwardcast. How are you doing? Doing great. Thank you very much, Cover, for having me back. No worries. You're actually the first. Um, you've got a bit of a privilege because you're the first return guest we've had. We have actually, Maybe it's something I said to all the other ones, but you're the first person who's come back. <laughs> well, thank you for having me back. Cool. So we've actually got um, a, quite a different um, bunch of topics to go through with you today. Because the last time we had you on, um, we were talking obviously about um, child abuse which unfortunately your family's had direct experience of, which is obviously quite a heavy topic. And so I thought, I really wanted to get you back on the show. We've actually got a number of things we're going to talk about with you today. But one of the reasons I really wanted to get you back on is because there's loads of aspects to being an ex-JW and rebuilding your life. And one of those for me, I've always thought is health, because when you're a JW, you're always told that ultimately your health doesn't matter too much because you know, the Armageddon's coming and God will fix whatever's wrong with you. And it wasn't really until I left that I realized that, you know, you kind of only get one meat vehicle to pilot around and you have to take care of it. And so I've got quite into, um, kind of exercise and healthy living. And I remember saw you talking on Twitter and a few other things about your own health transformation and especially like kind of exercise you've started doing. So, Maybe you could give us a quick rundown of maybe like how you felt about your health as a JW and, and what's changed and what you're doing now.
1: Yeah, well, first off, I could go back to my life as a kid. Like every every adult, every kid has their own weaknesses. And mine was never, you know, alcohol or or sex or drugs. Um, mine was always food. So like my parents always had alcohol in the house. I never once touched it, but I'd always went for the pizza Uh, pizza, pizza, or the pie. So from the time I was a little kid, I was always overweight. I always struggled with my weight, but I was always reassured and told that, you know, don't worry about it. Uh, It's temporary, Focus on spiritual things. Um, So I hit 200 pounds at about 14. Now, I'm only um, 5'7", or 170 centimeters for the the people on the metric. Mm -hmm. So I was about over uh, 100 kilograms at 14, only being 170 um, centimeters tall and um you know so i was i was pretty obese and you know at 16 i decided hey you know what i'm gonna i'm going to uh start to get back into shape here when in shape for the first time so Mm -hmm. i actually started running and lifting weights when i was 16 i did lose about 20 pounds i didn't get under 200 though i was i'd lost about like it's about 202 201 Mm -hmm. and then i was a regular auxiliary pioneering and i didn't make my time the one month and an elder kind of talked to me hey you know you know, you're really pioneering here. You got to focus on your time. So I kind of let myself go again. And when I graduated at 18, I was about 225 or I think that's about like, uh, would that be like 110 kilograms around there? Mm. And so I was always, you know, pretty overweight. Um, I got married, put some more weight on. And then in, uh, 2005, I was up to about 275 pounds. So that's where I was. Now, I did, my wife and I did lose some weight in 2005, 2006, but then eventually it just went right back to where I was. Mm -hmm. Um, So, again, I've struggled with this my entire life. So, in 2016, February 2016, my wife and I are officially done and we left. And, you know, my wife's like, we should join the gym. It's like, okay, I got no excuse. I have so much free time. So I started to join the gym. I was like, you know, 269 um, and I was 38 years old in February of 2016. So uh, April, you know, we had our our free blood work assessment done, health screening at work. And I signed up for it to see where I was, you know, physically. So the results came back. My cholesterol was, you know, over 400. My triglycerides were at 418. My blood pressure, I think, was around 150 over like 110. I was pre diabetic, so everything was wrong. You know, my vitamin D levels are too low. My good cholesterol was too low. My bad cholesterol is through the roof. Like I, at 39, at this point, I've been 39, I was ready for a heart attack. So I had already lost like eight pounds in two months, but I knew for a fact that I had to do better. So I, I called my doctor up and I said, Hey, I, here's my results from this blood work done at work. And she's like, Well, let's let's schedule an appointment six months out. And let's see where you're at. So I doubled down on my efforts to lose weight. I lost a little more weight, and then um, I, I met with her, and she's like, "You know, your triglycerides dropped like 60 points in like six months. So we're not going to put you on any medication. You're going the right direction." So that, that's where my battle was. Now, again, like losing weight, like you have to change your whole lifestyle. It was not like some people are just like determination and just drop weight after weight. You know, I I went up and down. I hit one 250 went back up a little bit, hit 240, went back up. So I got down to about 220. So I lost about, you know, almost 50 pounds in 2019 this year. Yeah, and I hit a wall. I I couldn't lose weight. I was doing everything I could. So I, I ran as a teenager and I really missed that. And I decided to start running again. And so one of the reasons why exercise,
0: just to clarify, so you, you were losing weight with diet, but you kind of hit, all- I,
1: but I was still, I was still, I was still, I was still lifting weights. Oh, okay. I was going to the gym okay. like six days a week. So I put okay. a lot of muscle mass on, hmm. but I wasn't doing any cardio. I wasn't doing any rowing, swimming, or biking. All I was oh, doing okay. was lifting weights. I wanted to do some cardio in there. Plus I wanted to wait till I was uh, lighter because I didn't want to ruin my joints or my back, my knees by oh, running yeah. okay, at yeah. 270. So, cause I read some books. So we, the reason why, so right before I woke, up, my wife and I flew to Las Vegas with my kids for a vacation, and we went and visited my wife's parents in Arizona. So we were in Arizona, Utah, uh, Colorado, we were in New Mexico, we went to California, we had a nice vacation with them. They're JWs, mm-hmm. and I was a little bored because I only brought one book with me. So we went to a bookstore, and I'm just you know looking at the bookstore, and there's this book that caught my attention. It said Ultra Marathon Man. So I'm like, oh, what is an ultra marathon? I knew what a marathon was. So I picked the book up, and this I was reading the back, and this guy runs 100-mile races, 150-mile races. I, I had never heard of anybody doing this before. And he runs them in, in, like, Death Valley. Oh, yeah. He, What's
0: this guy's name? I think I I've think, heard of this dude.
1: Yeah, I think his name, I, I can't pronounce it, but it's, like, Dean Car, Carzins. Yeah. yeah. Okay, I think I'm probably butchering his name, but his book title, you can probably Google it, is, like, The Ultra Marathon Man. That's the name of the title. So I was like I just devoured this book, you know, now um, if you look at pictures of this vacation, I'm a big boy, you know, I'm two over 270 and, uh, I'm still JW and we're going to other JWs out there eating food. And so he was like in his forties and he had a bad marriage. He wasn't happy. He had a successful job. He didn't know what was wrong in his life. And he was contemplating, should I leave my wife? What should I do? And he was an athlete as a kid, but he got into a corporate job and he just wasn't Shape, and one day he decided to just start running again. And then he started running more and more and more. He started running marathons. He actually ran fifty marathons in fifty days in fifty different U.S. states, which is crazy to think about it. And then he still married to his wife, and he left his corporate job. And he's a motivational speaker, author, you know, trainer. And that's it. Wasn't like there was nothing wrong with his life or his wife or his family. It was the fact that. He just wasn't doing what he was needed to do to make himself Mm. happy. Mm. And that really made me think of my, this is right before I woke up, but I'm reading this book and I'm like, well, we were always told as Jehovah's witnesses that if you're not happy, you're not doing something right in Jehovah's organization. Well, maybe it's not that maybe it's your job or career or you're not actually helping people. So that really was, a. I think that book really was a a factor in helping me wake up at that time because I was reading it out in Arizona. So so come to come to this year, you know, February of 2019. Now I, I hit 220. I'm, I'm 220 for like six months. I hadn't lost a pound and I'm really mad at myself. So I'm, I'm like exactly hundred kilograms. I could not break that hundred kilograms wall. And I, 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 at the gym, I'm like, let me get on the treadmill. And I only did five minutes. That's all I did at like three and a half miles per hour. I don't know what the kilometers of that is. I can't think right now. Um, uh, it's probably about five k. I think, but I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah, you're yeah, you're actually right. So the next day I did six minutes. You know, just bumped it up a minute. The next day I did seven minutes. Then I eight, nine, ten, and then I, and then I started. When I hit ten minutes on the treadmill, I bumped up the speed to like uh, four miles an hour. You know, 4.5, 4.6. Then I got to about six miles an hour on the treadmill. And I was just bumping it up like a, a tenth of percent every day, you know, just one point six, point six one. Then I then I got to thirty minutes on the treadmill at like six miles an hour, and I'm like, hey, you know what? I can run. I can do this. This is. I just started little bits, you know. Mm. So May May of this year, I'm like, I hadn't actually done a road race in a, over a decade. I haven't ran on the road, you mm. know. I'm f- I'm 42 now, so I ran a mile outside, and I thought I was going to die because it's harder to run outside than it is in a treadmill. Cause you have weather, you have sun, you know, you have to go uphill, downhill. So I'm like, I'm going to do it the next day. So I just did another mile the next day. And then eventually by the end of May, I did a 5k, which is 3.1 miles. Never ran one, ran. It took me 36 minutes to run a 5k, but I finished one, you know, and I thought I was going to die, but it was like painful, but also exhilarating at the same time. It's kind Mm -hmm. of hard to explain. Um, but, you know, well, then now I have a goal now because, you know, as Jehovah's Witnesses, we always were told to have goals. And that's my whole training, you know, get baptized, go to Bethel, be a pioneer, have a study, have two studies, you know. Mm-hmm. So now my next goal was, hey, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run an under 30-minute 5K. That, so I kept trying and trying trying. And July of 2019 of this year, my wife and I entered a U.S. Roadrunner race just like a local race you know you Mm -hmm. pay like 25 bucks on a track and there was about 30 people and if you go if you flash back to when you were in high school covert did you ever have the races in high school with the other people like for uh gym class or
0: yes we did actually we had um athletics and sports days and i used to i actually used to do some of the running because it was the one of the few things i could actually do so yeah yeah we used to do that So,
1: so imagine the fat kids the heavy kids i shouldn't say were you know the overweight kids, I was always the last person or the second last. So now I've done a lot of cool things since I left as Jehovah's Witness. I've gotten to speak out in all kinds of cool places. One of the most surreal moments of my life, there's like 25 people in this race, and we she hit the gun, the lady, the timer, and we started running on the track, and I actually passed people. Ah. And I, 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 I don't want to brag or boast, but it's like <laughs> – it's one of the coolest things ever. I mean, I'm not better than yeah. anybody. I just I worked on it every day, every day. I didn't miss a day running in almost two months. I just got better and better and better. And I got set back. We'll go over injuries I had over the over the last seven months of running. Mm-hmm. And um, but I and then I, I actually lapped people because there was a couple older people who were just walking. So mm-hmm. they were doing a five k. They were trying to finish. So they were just walking. I actually lapped them, and I had never lapped anybody in my entire life. And I'm proud of those. There was a seven year old woman doing it that day i'm proud of those people too Mm. so this this got me just like through the roof you know so in may i did 25 miles running on the road june and july i did 50 by august i bumped it up to 100 a month so i'm doing about Mm. you know 30 miles a week running about there uh this month in november i'll be over 120 i just keep bumping it up a little bit more uh my time kept dropping that july at that race i broke um 30 minutes for the first time. Mm. And now my 5K times down to 25, 12. It's not great, but it's for 42 for never running in my entire life. I'm happy with it. Yeah. Um tough. I mm. going back to high school, we had to run a mile in 10 minutes. I could never do that as 16, 17, 15, 18. All four years of high school, I could never run a 10-minute mile. Well, I've done a 730, you know, mile mm. and I've run a 10K, which is 6.2 miles. In fifty-three minutes, so I ran six miles, average pace under nine minutes a mile. Uh, so yeah. you know, it's everybody's different. Um, I just just kept pushing it. It was just so fun. It's so exhilarating. It's just so much to see that you're gonna. I had bad days. There was a couple of days where I had a cold, and then I, I didn't run for like three days, and I come back, and then my time was like ten thirty a mile because I just couldn't breathe. And but then I, you just fight through it. Mm. In June, I pulled a muscle in my back, and I didn't run for a week. But I didn't give up. I just went to, I stretched, stretched. I went back to the gym, lifted weights, and I stretched my back out. And it got better. Mm. And then um, I aggravated my sciatic. I did two 10Ks in a row in October. And then I worked a 12 hour shift at work and I woke up and I couldn't walk. <laughs> October 4th. Um, that, that's I, your I, body's
0: I, way of saying, dude, I need a day off. Yeah. Yeah. So I called off work. My
1: wife, who's been a nurse for 15 years, she told me what to do. There's some stretching exercises. I took some ibuprofen, I soaked my leg, I stretched it out. I did not run for an entire week. Mm. And then I went to the track and I just walked. And then I went back to running after that cleared up. And now I know what to do. I got to do these certain stretches mm. to my doctor and haven't had any issues since then. So I've had setbacks. I've had problems. So my wife has been running with me. She had never been able to run a mile without walking. And she's been able to do that too. Mm. So August uh, 17th, I signed up for my first half marathon. I wasn't ready, but I wanted to do it anyway. And I ran seven miles without stopping. I was averaging about 11-minute mile pace. And then I had to walk the last six miles. So I ran a little over half of it and walked the rest of it. So it was two hours and 48 minutes. And I'm like, well, now I have a new goal. I am gonna, I want to try to break two hours in my half marathon, even though I did it in two hours and 48 minutes. Um so I kept working on it. October I did another half marathon. Uh this time I did in two hours and eight minutes. So I took 40 minutes off my time. And it was one of the most beautiful half marathons I ran. We ran on along the Susquehanna River through the capital of Pennsylvania, Harrisburg, a beautiful river run. Mm. Um, it was just an awesome experience. So I came in like 63rd place out of 121 runners. So it was like right in the middle. You know, um, I didn't win my age group or anything, but that's okay. I took 40 minutes off my pace. I ran for 13 miles without stopping. Uh, my pace was like 9.50 a mile. So I took like so much time off my, uh, my half marathon. Mm. Um, I kept working at it. And then, you know, last Saturday, just like six days ago, I ran another half marathon at a park. It was just a loop course. So you run this um, 1.1 mile course like 12 times. Okay. And yeah. I did, a, this wasn't a road marathon. This was just like a loopy one, big one. It's like in a park. And I, I, I broke uh, two hours at 159. Yeah. So I average like nine oh five, I think, or nine oh seven a mile. So then my next goal now is, of course, a full marathon. And I'm, my wife and I signed up for the uh, Pittsburgh Marathon May of 2020. Okay, and we're gonna we're gonna go by Charles's grave uh, site after the race is over
0: in it's fair respects. <laughs> so there's a load of questions I want to ask you about this because there's a lot of. Because what you said there, there's a lot in there. The first thing I'd like to ask, because obviously there might be a lot of viewers listening to this who are thinking, you know what, I'd like to get into shape and running sounds appealing. But I can't imagine myself just sitting out, you know, just starting to to run huge distances. So in terms of training, if you're starting off, just if you haven't run much before, or if you've, you've run a little bit, but you've never even thought that you were ever going to run like 5K or 10K, What's the kind of training regime that actually gets you there? Did you use any apps to help you or are there any videos or trainers you used or any techniques to bear in mind?
1: Yes, yes, and yes to all those things. So I watched a lot of YouTube videos. There's a, a app called Couch to 5K. I highly recommend it. Um, there are some apps that you have to pay money for. Uh, Nike uh, has a running app that I use every day. It tracks your overall pace. Your daily pace, your monthly pace. It gives you achievements and records. It's mm. free. The only problem is, um, it, once in a while, ads for shoes will pop up in that app. But uh, some other running apps will charge you like uh, ten ten dollars a month or like eight mm. or nine pounds a month. So I use this Nike app. Uh, the Couch to 5K is a great program. Um, it tells you. I, I kind of followed it just to almost the letter because, you know, my wife and I did walking. I I kind of. Misspoke, I missed that part. Um, besides running on the treadmill, my wife and I went for like three mile walks and six mile walks mm. before, before, before I was even running 5k. So I was running like one mile or mile and a half, maybe two miles outside. But before I even ran the 5k or 10k, we would go for a three mile walk, you know. So, mm. and we did a six mile walk, we did a 10k walk. So just little, little bits. Um, I also would recommend again, I'm not a, I'm not, um, trainer i'm not a professional i'm just an amateur but if you have access to a treadmill some people don't like them at all Mm -hmm. but try to do a 5k on a treadmill first before you try on the road because the nice thing about the treadmill you can set the perfect pace on on the road you're going to go up and down yeah so it helps you train your body what what pace you need to hit your goal i did i did uh I, i never actually ran a full 5k on a treadmill but i did i think i did like 2.7 2.7 miles or 2.8 almost to 5k. But if I would go back there, I would do it again. My first 10k I did on a treadmill before I actually ran it on okay. the road. And, uh, you know, just, just also stretching is very important. I learned the hard way by hurting my back twice. Mm. And, uh, I did do some poor, uh, Pilates and yoga at the gym. And I kind of wish I would have done a little more of that before I started running. Cause I probably wouldn't have hurt my back twice. Uh, but I was still doing like s- uh, squats are very important uh, mm-hmm. leg work at the gym. You don't have to do a lot of weight, but you, if you're going to run, you need to uh, build up your core. You need to build up your, your muscles too. I mean, running will strengthen all the muscles you need, but you, if your core is not strong enough, then you're putting stress on it and then you're going to happen what what I have, but yeah. what happened to me, but it wasn't like a, a career ending injury. And what, the biggest thing I recommend is anytime we're not trading for the Olympics. We're not trading for the national team. We're just trying to get the best version of who we can be right now. Yeah. And any time that I felt pain in my legs, like bad pain, not not aches, I just stopped that day. Okay, that's it. I'm mm-hmm. not going to push myself. There, there's been days where I, I was on a pace to break my 10k time or my 5k time, and I just felt a twinge or a t- tweak or something didn't feel right. And I just stopped. You know, because I'm not going to hurt damage for the long goal. Uh, for the long haul, I want to keep my body as best shape as I can. And the more you do things, the more you get in tune with your body. It's really weird to say, but you know how you're, you feel that day mm. and you know what your body can take. So anybody can do it. And again, it doesn't have to be running. Some people don't like running, but they love like rowing. They love, you know, going to the gym on a rowing machine or uh, rowing on a lake or a river. People love cycling or, you know, on the elliptical. Elliptical is good too because it was a total body workout, but it is there's no stress on the joints because it's low impact. So whatever works best for you, that's what I would say.
0: Yeah, and it's interesting. I mean, I think I would agree with you on the because one of the reasons I got so in, into this is because I'm, I'm a runner as well, and it's always interesting to me. And I like kind of like you, I came to it very late in life. And it's always interesting to me because I remember when I was first starting to try and take up running, I didn't really know what I was doing. And you telling me about the treadmill, I wish I'd thought of that because my first instinct when I set myself a goal of, oh, I'm gonna run this far, I just took off really fast. Um, and of course you, you burn yourself out you know, yeah. before you're anywhere near your goal and the rest of it's agony and you think, why am I even doing this? But the nice thing that I say about that treadmill is it, you, you, it forces you to keep a good pace. So you, yeah. you don't get that experience of like, you know, burning yourself out in the first quarter of the run and then hating your entire existence for the last three quarters. So that, I think that's a, that's a really good piece of advice.
1: Yeah. So the nice thing about the treadmill, it is boring, but the nice thing about it, if it's a, like, a, like 40 degrees Celsius or like 95 outside, the treadmill is air conditioning. If it's mm. below freezing, you can it, the weather is going to be the same if you join a, a gym membership. Also, besides running out of track, if you run any road running, you're to go up and downhill. And it takes some endurance and some fitness to be able to run uphill. Even running downhill is painful on your quads. Uh, The treadmill, you can set it at zero degrees incline. And then you can bump it up to one or two degrees if you feel like you can. And then if you get tired, you can take it back to zero. So to build that core endurance, that core strength, I kind of recommend a treadmill to start. Because I Mm -hmm. ran on a treadmill for three months before I did my first outside road race.
0: Yeah, because it's very much that, that kind of thing with running. I mean, I love it now, but I can quite see if I hadn't if I'd have been a bit bit stupider and I had, you know, I hadn't got myself used to it, I might have given it up. And I think that's I think that's a good idea for your first experience running. You want it to be as comfortable as possible, as easy to get into as possible. And then when you're kind of used to it, oh, I can do this, this isn't too bad. Like you say, then you can start taking it outside, start having variations in your, you know, going up and going down. And by then your body's started to already kind of get into the vibe. So you're less likely to have that, you know, that that initial pain barrier is a lot easier to get through. Do do you have a favorite? Do you prefer running inside or outside now, or do you have like a favorite running route you like to take? I I love running outside. I ra- I rather run outside if I can. Uh, I've run in
1: the rain. Um, the hardest is the wind. Okay. So yeah, yesterday was Thanksgiving, and I signed up for a five k Thanksgiving run um, on C- City Island in Harrisburg, our capital in Pennsylvania. So there was four hundred and thirty four people um, entered that race, and it's chip timing. So you know, you don't, your time doesn't start to you, your chip and your bib crosses the, the start line. Yeah, so even they've got An are, actual
0: chip in, in the clothing yeah. you wear, haven't you So yes. you, they're, they're literally tracking where you are so they can give you a very precise, yeah.
1: you know. Yeah. So it's some, some of these small races, these club races, they just, when you cross the finish line, somebody has a stopwatch, some, some, they actually have chip timing. So there was 434 people here yesterday and it was brutally windy. We lost power here at our house. It was so windy. And I came in 97th place out of 434 people. I ran a 28-minute 5k, which Thursday Wednesday, the day before, I did a 25-25. So I ran mm. two, two and a half minutes slower in this massive race than I did by myself the day before. Um, but I was happy because I came in the top quarter. I passed a lot of people. And also the first like quarter mile, I couldn't run because it was so jammed up with people. And mm. then the wind. Running in the wind is brutal. I, maybe some people like it, but if it's too windy, I won't run outside because especially when you have a headwind, it takes so much energy yeah. and so much force to run in that wind. When we ran aqua- across the Susquehanna River, I thought I was going to get blown off the bridge and uh, it was bad, but I had a lot of fun. And the nice thing about running, or you, if you want to cycle, I would recommend, because we, we all have left this high control group and mm-hmm. we're all looking for friends, companions, part of a group and the running group that I'm part of right now in Harrisburg, the U S road It is an awesome group. Every time I've been there, I've met new people. I've changed phone numbers. I have, I've met like 10 friends in just the last couple of months going to these races. Um, there's an old, older woman, her name's Nora and she's in her sixties and she races, she walks all these races. So last Saturday when I was doing my half marathon, she was doing her 105 K now she walked it, but everybody knows her because mm. she goes to all these races. I've given her high fives, given her hugs and I never met her before July. And when she finished the finish line for a hundred five K, everybody got around her and like lifted her up. And like, it was one of the coolest uh. moments. It was just really nice. I mean, now she wasn't there on Thursday. I didn't see her, but I saw some of the other guys. I saw my friend, Greg, who I've run with, um, This, this guy's in his sixties, he runs half marathons Mm -hmm. and when my first half marathon, he's like, follow me. I'm going to run, I'm going to run a pace to help you finish this race. So he, this guy has run like sub two hour half marathons already. He's run full marathons, but he actually ran slow just to help pace me out because he said, this is your first half marathon. You're going to run too fast. You're going to, you're going to burn yourself out. He said, I want you to do 11 minute miles. So the first seven miles, he ran right with me, talked to me, encouraged me, and then my second half marathon, um, he ran with me again, and he said, "Well, what do you want to run?" I said, "I think I can do an I can average ten minute miles. I'm better." He's like, "All right, let's run ten minute miles." Mm-hmm. So the whole thirteen miles, he ran with me. Now the last mile, he did pass me and finish me, finish ahead of me. But like he, he I still could have finished those races. But it's so so nice to meet these strangers who will help you though they might get a worse time in their race that day just to help another person become a better runner so it's it's a great community um and there's every every city in the world has a running club mm-hmm. and it doesn't really cost any money to join it I, it cost me 100 bucks a year and i think it's well worth it to join this this club you know and you get you get free pie bananas and water at <laughs> the race and you get a, a finishing medal and a t-shirt so it's yeah. to me it's well worth
0: it. And like you said, there's a nice camaraderie of people. I mean, I mean, it's not doing activities is a nice way to meet people anyway, because it's kind of it takes away the social awkwardness of all having to stand in a room and talk to each other because yeah. you're doing something. So it's a lot more natural. And also, when you're all exercising together and kind of overcoming challenges together, it almost there's an extra layer of camaraderie I think that you get from it. Like those moments, like you describe when we all, they all lifted Nora up when she'd completed that. There's there's that that kind of we've all overcome a challenge together. kind of i think it brings people closer and it i think because i've heard from a lot of people who who do running like that that you really do get bonds and also cycling and kayaking yes yes any again um
1: we were all like rudders without ships when we left the organization we didn't know which Mm. way to go and this is the this is the path that i went it's not saying that everybody has to do what i do but i'm really glad you know if there november there's two days i didn't run and I'm kind of sad. I missed two days out of the 29 mm. days so far. One day I had to work extra shift at work. The other day I just didn't feel good that day. But again, it's like it's it's like my my therapy every day. It just it mm. clears the mind. And it makes me feel so much better. And well, uh, one more thing. I mean, since yeah. since I started running in February, so I've lost 10 more pounds. And people think, well, you should have lost more weight all that running. But the most important thing is. Yeah, but I, my leg muscles are so much bigger. I put more muscle yeah. mass on, and I've lost two and a half inches off my waist in just seven months. Nice. So I lost more, you know, core fat than I did. So my weight's only down ten pounds. I'm down to two ten. You know, I'm right now at forty two. I'm lighter than I was when I was um, like in high school. You know, eighteen, or when I got married at twenty. You know, so I'm in better shape now. Yeah. So there's so much benefits because one of the most number one risks. Of you know of a heart attack is how much fat you have around your chest because that's the, the bad fat. I mean anybody can have a little overweight there. Um, I just got my blood work done. My uh, triglycerides are down to two hundred six. So in three years I cut my triglycerides down uh, in half mm. with no with no medication. This is just diet and exercise. And then my good cholesterol is up twenty points. My vitamin D is up and um, there's. One more benefit of aerobics that I didn't really think about, my blood pressure dropped. My blood pressure is about you know, um, about you know, like 110 over like 68, 70. Mm-hmm. But the, the nice thing is you can do all the weightlifting you want, but you're never going to lower your resting heart rate down. You have to do cardio, yeah. to lower yeah. your heart rate. And your resting heart rate should not be in the 80s when you wake up. You know, it should be in about 60s or 50s. And my resting heart rate was about 85, 88, which is not dangerous, but it is it's a little high. But mm-hmm. right now, my resting heart rate is, is like in the high 60s. So just the fact that my heart has to beat less means that I just, just bought maybe another five years of mm-hmm. life with my heart because my heart might not give out as sooner. It's because, again, my, cl- my triglycerides are still a little too high. But the doctor, again, I just was at the doctor this week and he's like, we're not going to put you on statins because, you know, again, you've, every time I've, I've seen you, it just keeps dropping and dropping and yeah. dropping. So, you know, right now you're, you're out of the danger zone. We do, I just got to get it down to under 200.
0: And do you feel like, because this is one of the other benefits I know that people who, I, mean, I find this myself and a lot of people who get regular exercise say it's not just the exercise itself, but they just feel like they have more energy for life in general. And they feel like they've, even though life can still have its ups and downs, they it, it slightly puts them in a better frame of mind. Have you found that benefit with your life after you've sort of taken up running and other forms of exercise?
1: Yeah, you know, it, it gives you endorphins. You get that runner's high. Um, it gives you purpose in life. It gives you focus and goal. And it helps you fight depression. Because, again, you know, all of us, extra host witnesses, all of us who left maybe Scientology, or a Mormon, or maybe an Amish or Mennonite, we could all sitting around the table and uh, cry and whine. Oh, we lost our parents. We lost this. We lost that. We lost our job. Uh, we lost. But it's not going to do you any good to mm-hmm. to dig up that dead dog, so to speak, up in the backyard and just relive the pain of your dog dying. Um, so you have to move forward. You have to yeah. say, okay, I can't fix what happened in the past. All I can do. Is just worry about me, my immediate family who left, and the future.
0: No. So
1: that's that's my attitude right now. So again, will I ever be you know a superstar athlete? Will I ever be in perfect shape? Probably not because I still like to eat food. I still I ate a lot of turkey yesterday at Thanksgiving, <laughs> but I don't eat as much now. I'm in more mo- moderation. And you know the one comedian who says it best, uh, Jim Gaffigan says. I hate working out, but at least I don't eat for 45 minutes, you
0: know? <laughs> yeah, that's a good that's a good, uh, good way to look at it, actually. And the the other thing as well, I think, I was going to ask you, because um, when I, I very much echo that, I found for me, running is almost meditation. And I'm quite lucky that the way I organize my time, I can usually run in the middle of the day. So for me, if I've had a terrible morning at work or whatever, I can get a run in in the middle of the day, and it's almost like a reset. I come back from that, and I feel like, okay, we can, we can pick things back up again. I feel more grounded. I feel more centered. Um, and one of the other things I do when I run is I actually listen to podcasts. Mm-hmm. And I find that for me, it helps me just kind of really zone in in a really strange way. Um, do, you, do you listen to music or do you listen to podcasts or do you just run and focus on the running? What's your method for that? Uh, both. I listen to podcasts and I listen
1: to um, music. So I actually listened to your Unculture podcast while I was running. Um, I listened to um uh Germs interview when I was running. Uh, oh, so yeah, I listened, yeah, 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 and then I listened to uh, you did one more with Alice, I can't think of what it was. It was uh, it was well, the last one you did with Alice. I, I just oh,
0: yeah, we did about, I think it was a listener question,
1: uh, which one, yeah, yeah yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I listened yeah. to that. I, I have also listened to you know lots of music and um. There's a couple times running that I didn't listen to anything. I just wanted to think about stuff and, you know, plan for the future. Mm. And, uh, I'm working on another YouTube video right now. So I was I, a couple of weeks ago, all I did was think, think about what my script's going to be and what I'm going to talk about. So there's, 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 there's days, the one half marathon I have, uh, I have air AirPods and the battery dies after about two hours. Mm. So they, they beeped like they were dying. So I put them in and I couldn't, I let them charge back up, but, I couldn't put them back in because I was like so focused on finishing this race, even though I was just walking the last couple of miles. Mm. It was so painful to walk that I was like, I can't listen to anything. I just got to like foot forward, foot forward, you know, so.
0: Ah, cool. So there's, I mean, I would actually agree with everything you've just said about running, I would echo and also generally with exercise. I think one of the things people have to do is, And I know quite a few people like this, there's like some form of exercise they just can't do, but they find something they do like. And I think with exercise, if you can find the thing you do like doing, it makes it so much easier to do that thing. So maybe if someone tries running and they're like, okay, this isn't for me, but maybe try something else, kayaking or dance. I mean, dance is a big thing. That yeah. I know a lot of people have got into and that's an exceptionally good form of exercise. Yes. Um, and I think the, the main thing is just because the the human body wants to move. We're built to move, you know, we have got this massive evolutionary drive to almost be on the move. And I think because we all spend so much of our time stationary, it's almost like a, a subconscious level. We've all got this little voice at the back of our head that says, can we just take a walk? Can we go do something? And if you listen to that voice for me anyway, I think it makes such a difference in everyday life to just, even if it's only in a little way, and obviously everyone has different health and everyone has different time. But if there's just something I think a person can do just to knock that exercise level up a bit, I think it just can make such a difference in everyday life.
1: Yeah, so going back to when I, when I left uh, three years ago, three and a half years ago, um, watching so many videos on the internet about evolution, and because uh, you know, I, I knew nothing about it as a JW, And then one of the things that makes humans unique that no other animals in the world can. So cheetahs are faster than humans, you know, gazelles, deers. Mm. There's so many animals that can outrun a human, a dog. But yet the human is the only animal in the world that can run for long periods of time without tiring. The way our our lungs and our chest capacity is, and the way our lungs, so all four-legged animals, their lungs hit up against the chest in the front and doesn't let them breathe right. So they can, they, mm. most animals can only run for a half mile, a quarter mile, a mile. They have to stop. They can't perspire. They have to pant like dogs. So, so humans would, the way we evolved as running animals, because we would run down these animals until they would tire out and then attack them and kill them for food. So that's the way humans are. So any, everybody can run. It's just how far, how much. But again, if you can't run, what I would recommend is just join one of these uh, running clubs and walk them because there's gonna be walking people at every one of these. So people walk half marathons, people walk mm-hmm. um, full marathons. So um, the New York City Marathon was the first Sunday in November. I was looking at the results and the last place person who came in 54,000's place, he, you know, he walked the marathon at 13 hours. Mm. He was like, I think he was 75 or 77. Uh, he finished it, Uh, The guy ahead of him was like eight hours, so all the eight stations were shut down. The roads were not no longer blocked, but he still finished it. And it happened in Pittsburgh uh, last May that two ladies they finished the uh, full marathon like three or four hours after all the eight stations were gone, all the medical places were shut down, all the traffic was open again, but they still wanted to finish it. So they walked it in like ten hours, but Mm. they they finished a marathon. So, Hey, if you, if you can't run it, try, try walking, try something to yeah. make your life a little better, a little more yeah. healthier.
0: And there's always that, cause there's always that fear that oh, I'll turn up and I'll be the person who's the slowest or the, the, you know, but that that's fine because it's not like you say before, it's not about comparing yourself to someone else. It's just about what you can personally do at that moment. And there's, as an example, there's, um, I think I uh, I mentioned, I may have mentioned on the Uncultured podcast and possibly on this one as well. One of my hobbies is medieval Mm longsword. When you go there, there's a mix of people, there's young people, there's older people, but there's a 70 year old lady there. And, and she's, and you know, she's not exactly, you know, like, it's not like going up against Zorro when you're kind of training with her, but she's absolutely doing her best. And she's, she's involved and she's surprisingly spry and supple. So she's obviously been keeping herself going. And that just reminds me that, you know, it, it's not about how fast you are compared with anyone else or how strong you are or how skillful you are. It's just about, are you enjoying yourself? You know, and like you say, when you're measuring your, your progress, if you want to measure your progress, it's not about, oh, am I, am I faster than this guy? It's, you can look at your app for running and say, well, I'm faster than I was last month. Or, you know, last month I, run, I ran 2K and this month I ran 2.5K. And yeah. it, it's all about just looking at what works for you um i think with exercise that's probably one of the most important things is like like you say not worrying about how other people are doing it's just how am i feeling
1: but I'll, i i i want to tag on what you just said so um you know how we were told as jehovah's witnesses that you know there's holy spirit at the kingdom hall you might have a bad headache you might have a bad day you go to the kingdom hall and you just feel so much better i i i bought into that but you know looking back in retrospect what i see now was the fact that you are with a room of a hundred people who have the same shared ideas and beliefs. Mm, And of course you're going to be happier. It's just the way humans evolved. We evolved, we're tribal animals and Mm. we, we we select, we like to be around people who have the same beliefs and feelings as us. So so what I noticed too is when I, I run just about every day, but then at least once a week I'll join a race, you know, and I always run, usually always run better than I do, my own Mm. i've tried to run a half marathon twice by myself and i I couldn't finish it i just got too tired and i notice when i go to these events when there's other people i have more energy i have more stamina i have more excitement just that i'm feeding off the other people around me and it doesn't have to be running it could be rugby it could be soccer football it could be anything but you we just we just when we're around other humans we just get excited. It just makes us have a little more pep in our step, so to speak. And like, like I, I tried to break 30 minutes for two months, couldn't do it until I ran with other people. Mm. And I, I was getting better as I was running. But then, um, since then, you know, every time I seem to run with, with these groups, my, my club I'm joining, I joined It's I just run so much better than I do when I'm doing by myself, unless it's freezing out or super windy.
0: Yeah, and I think that goes back to the importance of that general piece of advice that I think on all these podcasts that we do for the XJW community, we keep coming back to is you've got to find yourself a new community when you leave the X, when you leave the JWs. You know, there are many ways to go about it, but you've got to start rebuilding your new social circle because as human beings, we that's what helps us thrive—that social community it's one of the reasons why it's so hard to leave the JWs and they know it. That's why they take your community away. And so going out and finding a new community and there's many ways you can do it. Like you say, you could, you know, join a running group, join meetup.com, join an interest group, just talk to your work friends. Once you start building that community for yourself, it makes it so much easier for you to thrive in your new kind of post JW life. And it's interesting again, how many of these podcasts and the people I talk to, it's the same thing. It's like they, you know, that's the advice they always have is like, you know, you've got to start building that new community up because it will make a difference in your life. Yes. Yeah. So keeping with slightly the, the running theme and also the fundraising theme, there's something else that you've been involved with, which um, I didn't know until we, we were talking about setting this interview up and you mentioned that you were doing this. Um, you've been quite busy, not just on the treadmill, but also in the organizational sense, haven't you, Martin? Yes.
1: So my wife and I, we started a nonprofit this week.
0: So I love the way that's kind of casual. Yeah. You know, we went for a run, started a nonprofit. It's just the normal day. <laughs> so yeah. So tell us about the nonprofit. Okay.
1: So my wife and I, um, you know, we we were never allowed to like donate money to charity as Jehovah's Witnesses. We were never allowed to volunteer, help our community. Mm. So in twenty. 20- 16 i'm like i told my wife i said i'd like to give back to the community but what do i do there's Mm. so many organizations there's veterans there's homeless people there's troubled teenagers there's battered women um there's so many different things to help i didn't i was lost i i donated to the united way and i gave to make a wish and i gave money to the little you know salvation army here and there but nothing nothing um you know, concrete or permanent. Mm. So my wife and I said, we should do a fundraiser. We should raise money for a PIMO JW teenager, or it doesn't have to be a JW teenager. It could be, you know, Mormon kid who is a strange, it could be any kid from a high control group who Mm. wants to go to college, but the parents won't let them or can't afford it. And so we, we talked about this about a year ago and we didn't know how to do a fundraiser. We knew no idea. So, you know, everybody thinks about a golf fundraiser, which can raise a lot of money, but it also can cost thousands of dollars to, um, you know, just, you know, rent the facility and do all yeah. that stuff. And I, I'm not a golfer. I, I've golfed a couple of times. I don't hate it. It's fun, but it's not my thing. Yeah. So, so back in July, we went to that track about, you know, it's a half mile track um, by our house and it's on a public park and it's not like a running, it's like a, it's a walking track through the park. So it's not like an oval like a Olympic oval, it's just a half mile track around the park, and the race was held there. And so we were talking to the the U.S. Road Running Club that I joined later on, mm. and you know, there was, she was saying, you know, we raise funds for all kinds of different things. So then my wife and I were talking, what if we do a, a run right here at the park, and we collect donations. For a scholarship, you know, maybe we only get $500. Maybe it's a thousand dollars. Maybe it's 1500, whatever it could Mm. be. So let's do this. And let's, you know, try to get as many XGWs involved. It would have two different uh, point purposes. It'd be a nice meetup for extra Jehovah's Witnesses, but we wouldn't be sitting at a bar drinking and eating. We could actually do something outside. Mm. So then I had to look into it. Like, how do you do this? How do you do a nonprofit? How do you, um, for tax purposes, how do you set up a bank account? How do you set up a website? So the last few months, I've been working on this. And this week, I just got my you know, uh, IRS, Internal Revenue Service. It's our tax thing here in America. I just got my identification. So they recognize my nonprofit. Now, mm-hmm. the next step is to qualify for... Um, tax free status as a charity. So they recognize my organization, but it's still not tax-free. So i I just wrote my mission statement this week. I filled out all the paperwork. I'm going to submit it on Monday to the IRS to get my uh the second classification for my nonprofit. So we are organized our our nonprofit is called the Freedom run Project. So we're gonna have a one year a 5K walk run to raise money for you know, teenage Jehovah's Witnesses could be anybody who's in a high control mm. group. Uh, the website is just about 90% done. I'm ready to, as soon as I get the bank account linked to it, I'm going to make it go live within the next week or so. Okay. And um, it'll be our our mission statements on there. I have other extra Jehovah's Witnesses, the trustees on my nonprofit, because I don't want it, just my wife and I to run it. I wanted other people to be. Who are not related to me to be on the trustees mm-hmm. to show that this is above the board yeah. that we're we're going to take funds and uh, we're going to give it to a kid we're going to there's a there's a, a tab in that website that if you want to apply for the scholarship just uh, submit your CV and you know we're, we're going to review it after the runs over and we're going to our five people who are trustees are going to review the uh, applications and select one person to receive that uh, that scholarship. Um, we're also going to accept donations throughout the year. If you can't make that run, if you want to give a dollar, $2, um, in in America, if it's more, I think it's, if it's more than $250, you have to get, um, if you want a tax credit for that, you you have to get a form from us. That's why we need uh, a nonprofit certification. Mm -hmm. Um, right now we don't technically need it. If you, if you give under $250, you don't have to, but we want to get that to make sure everything's, um, I have the paperwork also filled out for our state because, in America, you have to do a state and you have to do a federal, you know, classification and get okay. certified both ways.
0: Yeah. Okay. So that's actually, so it's interesting because I know I've seen, I mean, I've seen a lot of people talk about um, setting up um, uh, organizations to help XJWs, but obviously that like like you've just outlined, there's a lot of stuff you actually have to do to put, make that a reality. Um, you have to have, I mean, one of the interesting things is that I noticed this came out of you were wanting to do something. And then because you were already kind of in this running group, it's almost like there's a chain reaction. One thing leads to another, you've got this activity, you've got this, these social connections, and then that kind of gives you the next step. Ah, this is how we can use this to go to the next step of helping XJWs. I think it's interesting how often in life that that's the way things work. It's one thing connects to another connects to another. And it's like the, the opportunities of life. The more you do, the more opportunities open up before you. Yeah, um, and yeah I think- so my
1: my wife. Um, you know, I, last year when you interviewed me, my wife was in college. You know, since then she has graduated, and mm-hmm. now she's in her master's program. Um, about two months ago, she got her her job that she's been one to school for. She's she's an office uh, operations manager for a healthcare home agency. So she has like hundred people working for her, caregivers that go into people's homes. Mm-hmm. These are people who need need home health care, but they don't want to go to the nursing home. So her company, you know they might need three hours a day, they might need twenty four hours care at the home. They might need eight hours a day and they might need just morning and evenings getting ready. so uh, her job she got hired on she she uh, manages and operates and schedules like a hundred different caregivers. They have like three or four hundred different clients around the area. So she that's what she went to school for, healthcare management. So she started, you know, um, in 2016 and she went to a brick and mortar school for a year, and then she transitioned to online course and she accelerated her her bachelor's. So she graduated in three years, and now she's an honor master's. So mm-hmm. not only do we want to do a fundraising to help pay for a scholarship, our website also wants to be now. There's a million websites out there to help kids get into college, but they're not there's not very many websites out there who are coming from their perspective. Of how can we help you as a former JW yeah. or how that, can we help
0: you? It's that specific a situation, form? isn't it?
1: Yeah. So we're going to have counsel. We're going to have a phone number if you want to call and just talk to somebody. So not only just monetary support, we want to, we want to offer advice. We want to offer like moral support. We want to be there. Um, I just got an extra phone line because I want to have a, set, a dedicated phone line for this foundation or mm. this uh, nonprofit. I don't want to use my phone because maybe nobody will ever call. Maybe it will ring off the hook. I don't know. <laughs> so that we, besides monetarily, we want to also support them like a place they can go to say, hey, no. uh, here, here's my wife. You know, she graduated at 43. Um, now she won't finish her master's probably until she's 45 you know, she was a a pioneer for 18 and a half years. She didn't go to college at 18, but she still managed to do it. There's, here's a path. Here's a way to do Mm, it. Now, again, she wants me to go to college and I would love to. I would love to go to university. But right now I don't want to have two student loan debts. (laughs) So I'm going to wait till we get hers maybe paid off. Maybe in a couple of years, I might go to school myself. Mm. But that's where our passion is going to be. So um, yeah, it's again, it's called the Freedom Run Project. The website is not live yet, but I'll make a YouTube video. I will tweet out it. And when it is live, you can find more information. Um, Our first fundraiser will be May 10th of 2020. May 10th. So that's, yes.
0: Or the 10th of May, as you say in UK. (laughs) Yes. Um, And and people can donate to that internationally. So even even if people can't make it to the run... Um, yes. if you're in the XJW community and you're listening to this podcast, you can go to the website and donate for that internationally.
1: Yeah. So, um, the, the local township in Pennsylvania has given us, the the, the track for free. We have, we're going to, we're going to rent the pavilion out. We're going to have like a lunch after the run. So my, my daughter's work, she works at a, a sandwich shop. Uh, they're providing all the food for free for us. So, uh, there'll be f- beverages, refreshments after the race is over. So not only will it be a 5K walk run for JW teenagers, it'll also be like a little XGW meetup afterwards. Mm -hmm. And the goal is if this is successful to do this every year and maybe do more than one a year, if if, if it catches on, we don't have to do it in Pennsylvania. We could do it anywhere in the country. That's our goal. And maybe to help more than one kid a year, maybe two kids, maybe three kids. Mm -hmm. Because what what saddens me is in 2016 when I left, I thought about how many scientists, how many musicians, how many doctors did we we lose who could have been world-class physicians or or engineers who could have made the next chip breakthrough or the next cure for cancer, but they never had the drive or the desire to go to college because they were told, don't do it. So Jehovah's Witnesses have a lot on their plate not only do they have the child abuse the blood transfusion the shunning policies they've actually hurt the world by preventing their children from helping other people they are being selfish taking advantage of all the benefits that higher education the college universities has given the world so they have taken all the they've taken all that from them but they have never given back to that community they have never given back to here here's our young people let's us help make the world a better place and mm. that's why, in some ways, I don't want to get off t- tangent here, Covert. But I kind of respect the Amish and Mennonite more than the Jehovah's Witnesses because at least they live a simple life. At least they don't take advantage of all these technology mm. that Jehovah's
0: Witnesses do. Yeah, it's a bit more honest, isn't it? It's about it's a, it's a bit more like you know you can't, decrying the thing, but then accepting all the benefits that the thing generates. It's like yes. it's a intellectually dishonest. And it's it, it's interesting because I mean the the XTW read it and other places as well i do see so often these threads pop up from young uh, teenage or a little bit older pimo um kids who are like they've woken up and they want to go to college or but they're not sure what's going to happen to them or people who are leaving a bit later they're like i'd really love to go to college but i don't know how to go about this so and the, the thing with the education is it's an investment in that person like you say it's it the, the great thing with education is it then allows that person to flourish and give back to society so they might become someone who in the best case scenario does something wonderful like assists with a cure for cancer or discovers something or becomes a you know a culturally famous musician but even if it's just the basic level it might mean the difference between someone who struggles through life and struggles to pay their bills and someone who lives a life where they can pay their way And be happy and you know and become a productive member of society that's that's the wonderful thing about this idea is it's not only helping that one individual person but the effects of that person being educated will then ripple out into the rest of society as a whole which is why i think the foundation is just such a wonderful idea
1: yeah they they did studies that they've tracked families for more than 50 years and they've found out that the family who some families who've never gone to college they're fine yeah but most aren't but that first child or that first son or daughter who has gone to college when they've gone back and looked at that family usually are economically 20 30 years later than that their children that that kid who went to college their children have a higher chance of going to college and it's just a ripple effect every generation might be a little better now sometimes there might be regress but it just shows you they can lift the whole family economically out and they could have a much better standard of living and a much Mm -hmm. you know easier life. Again, you can still survive without higher education, but your life will be more difficult.
0: Hmm. Yeah. And, it's that, and I think especially it's that nice area of the great thing with this foundation is it's coming from the perspective of people who know what it's like specifically to go through that XJW experience or that, that, that teenager physically and mentally out thing, because there's such a big call out for that. It's the, the ex cult experience is really only understood fully by people who've had it. And many people can sympathize and they can think, oh, that must be that must be unpleasant. But it's only really when you when you've been through that experience, you fully understand. And for them to be able to reach out with the phone number that you guys are going to have and talk to people who who have been there. So, you know, as an XJW, you don't have to, you know, you don't have to start the conversation by explaining about the governing body and disfellowshipping. Yes. And, you can just go straight into it. Yes. It makes such a difference, I think, to be able to help people. Yes, I 100% agree with you. Yeah. So the, the website's not up at the time of recording, but I nope. think by the time of, I'm just going to say, if you check the, the episode notes, I think by the time of edit, it might be out. But if not, as soon as it is, we'll be tweeting out anyway. And I'll pop it onto one of the the, the next forward episode that comes out where that website is up. Um, yes. I'll mention that in there. Um, yeah, I, I do. I do want to make it go. I have it finished, but
1: I don't want to make it go live. Until I had the bank account set up for the nonprofit because I didn't want people not to be able to to donate or check into it. And then I also wanted to make sure I had the park reserved before I put the date down because I didn't want people to make travel plans. And, hey, by the way, guys, we have to change the date. So I wanted to make sure all my ducks in a row before Mm -hmm. I made, made it go live.
0: Yeah. And I think maybe, again, I mean, we've, we've had you back on once, maybe in about, you know, when we get close to the, uh, the time where this is going live, maybe we could have you back on. Because I think it would be interesting for you to talk about, you know, six months, you know, seven, eight months into the experience, talk about how actually running this thing is and what you've learned from that. Because it would be great, I think, if we saw, you know, more and more people from the XJW world understanding what it takes to successfully spin something like this up maybe on their own projects. So that would be, if maybe we can get you back in a few months again. Yeah, sure. So there's, there's one other project you've got on again, which I want to, which, which I think would be good to discuss because uh, like I said, you're a very busy person. You're, you're running, you're living your life. You're spinning up this foundation yet somehow you're still finding time to sit down at a word processor and hit a word count. So what, what are you, what else have you got going on at the moment? Well, I'm, I'm writing my life story.
1: So, um, Funny thing about college, so my wife's cousins, who was never JW, my wife's parents were JWs, but her rest of her family were not. So my wife's cousin uh, works for New Paltz University. She's a recruiter marketer. And New Paltz University is about five minutes from Wallkill. Mm -hmm. So just to give you a perspective where New Paltz is, it's a nice little liberal arts college. So she works for New Paltz University, my wife's cousin, never JW. So she met a guy there at a local bar, actually. And it turns out that his father is the president of New Paltz University. So they've been dating for over a year now. They're a really nice family. So mm. they invited us up in October to New Paltz to hang out with them for the weekend. So I, I got to stay at the president of the university's house. Uh, his name is Don Christian, super nice guy. So he's in charge of like, you know, 13,000 students. Mm. We stayed at his house and so his her, his mom, his wife, the president's wife, or my friend Paul's mom, is a retired sociologist professor. So we sit down, we get there, and we didn't want to bring up the whole Jehovah's Witness thing. Mm. So, <laughs> so she's like, so I heard you guys are we're in a cult. Tell me about it. I want to know everything about it. <laughs> so my wife and I look at each other like, okay, here we go. So I'm telling her stories, and then both the mom and the dad are just flabbergasted because... He had never known that there's religions out there that prevent their kids from going to college. So the whole time, they're like, you got to write a book. You got to write a book. You have to write a book. He said, I said, I'm not a good writer. It doesn't matter. Just write it. Submit it. You'll, if the publisher thinks the idea is good enough, because these people have been the academic for 40, 50 years, they said, look, we have horrible writers who are professors. But if the idea is good enough, they'll, the, the editor will find somebody to help you edit and, and fix all the mistakes. Mm -hmm. You know, but your, your story is good enough to write it. I'll my history with, you know, five generations as a Jehovah's witness, serving as an elder, you know, having my mother, my daughter, my cousin, all be, you know, sexually assaulted, all the stuff that happened around around me, uh, the stuff that I've done since I've left Jehovah's witnesses. So I, October, you know, like middle of October, I started writing it and I'm, I'm over 10,000 pages, um, and I, it's a rough draft. It's, it's, mm. It might take me six months. It might take me a year. I try to work on it at least an hour every day. Mm. And uh, I've re- rewritten the introduction like six times. And I've stopped with it. I'm going to just keep writing it and I'll go back. So again, I, I, I don't know if it'll ever get published, but it's, it's also very therapeutic. I mean, it is amazing how good it feels to put words on paper or mm. on, on a computer screen. Um, going to a therapist is amazing too, but just to actually, you could say it out loud, you can think about it, but to actually put it on record, it feels like you have validated what you've gone through and it's official and it's real. It's not in your head now. Mm. I know that might sound strange to
0: say, but it's writing has really been therapeutic for you the past month. So how do, you, how do you find time to do it then? Do you set yourself, you mentioned you do about an hour a day. Is that something you schedule yeah. or is it... So, okay. Uh, I have a unique schedule. I work second
1: shift. So I work from mm-hmm. three o'clock to 11. Okay. My wife works day shifts. The only way for me to see my wife is to get up early in the morning. So I, I get home around 1130, which is like 2330 in, in uh, you know, military time. Mm-hmm. And I go to bed right away. You know, I go to bed, I get up at 630. I make her breakfast. Now I don't have to go to work till two o'clock. Right. So I have like almost eight hours every day. And, you know, my kids are grown, my daughters, you know, they're like, so I have no meetings, no service to do. So I have eight hours. So it's usually too, it's, right now, this time of year, it's too cold to run first thing in the morning outside. So I, my goal is like, she leaves for work at 7.30. So from 7.30 to 8.30 every day, I try to devote that time to running. Um, there are a few days where I might lay on the couch and just watch a YouTube video or just relax, but that's my mm-hmm. hour every day. And then at 8.30. I get in the car and I drive to the park. And that's my that's my schedule.
0: Mm. And that's, that's so that's because that's what I've heard from other authors who, um, who've written books when they're also very busy and they're kind of working other jobs is that you have to – having a schedule makes it so much easier to get the work done because if you don't have the schedule, time will swallow up that free writing time.
1: And th- there are some days where I might only write three paragraphs because mm. nothing's coming to me. And other days, you know, I might write 20 paragraphs in that hour. It just, my fingers are flying. So yeah. I, I, I'm some authors might, might have to write a certain amount of words per day. I'm not doing that. I'm trying to worry about quality right now. And mm. it's my story. And again, I've, I've edited some things out and I've changed some things. And it's, it's, it's a work in progress. I never went to school for this. Um, but I know what good writing is. I've read hundreds and hundreds of books. So mm. I'm trying to, to take things I've learned from different books that I read read over the years and try to do the best I can.
0: Yeah, and that, that goal ultimately is it to, to lay out the, because I, I, I've, I've actually, Martin gave me a very quick preview of an early draft of what he's early, early written. And it's interesting that it's kind of going from, it really is your family's history and how they all got into the Jehovah's Witnesses. And I think one of the, without giving any spoilers or details, I think it's interesting for people, especially outside the religion, to understand why people join. Because the assumption for some people is always, like, oh, everyone who joins a cult, cult must be brainwashed and you know easily led. But the reality is, and I think once people read that part of your story, and I think you know from my own experience, I would agree. A lot of people join the Jehovah's Witnesses because the Witnesses are actually offering something that appeals at that moment at time, be it family or community or a sense of escape or or help. Um, and I think it's always interesting to see that. That route that people take in, because then it helps us to understand why these high control groups can be so effective at enticing people in.
1: Yeah. So, for instance, in, in my book, um, I'm a fifth generation. I was a fifth generation Jehovah's Witness. So my great great grandfather, um, he was a World War I veteran, and he got back to America in 1919. So he didn't get back in 1918. It was almost like so. It was after um, they got released from uh, prison, the eight members. Mm. and uh he, he was dissolution basically what, what today we would diagnose him as shell shocked or pts you know yeah. post-traumatic stress and he couldn't keep a job he was listless he'd so, seen now i'd never met him he died you know way before i was born but i just my grandmother, my great-grandma told me stories about him and he didn't know what to do with life and he was walking and ran to bible students and uh Actually, it was a famous, uh, she's been in the Watchtower, I think her name is Melinda Kiefer, actually witnessed witness to my great-great-grandfather. Um, and uh, he became a witness, became a coal Porter, got baptized in the end of 1919. And the only person he brought in was my great-grandmother. But so I'm like a fifth generation. So she was already like a teenager when he became a Bible student before they were Jehovah's Witnesses. And, you know, so there's a thing where if he wouldn't have been in World War One, he probably never would have been a Bible student, and then my grandparents wouldn't be witnesses. You know what I mean? That one thing alone. If he never was drafted, or if he never saw active duty, but that just disillusioned him so much. You know, so that's one. That's one little story I tell in my book. And there's many stories about my father. Uh, my father worked with Nathan Or in Bethel in, in the '60s. Uh, my dad worked for Fed France. So um, my other uncle is was a director of the corporation i don't know if he still is i haven't talked to him in you know like four years so um so he told me all kinds of like business sides and yeah was, i have a lot of interesting history with my organization it goes back over 100 years
0: mm. so that's something else perhaps we can get you uh, get you back on to talk about because that's like i said i've read the first little bit of it and it's fascinating especially to see the this the unfolding of this story um from from you know, from like the early nineteenth, the late nineteenth century, early twentieth century, to where you are now, it's almost like the, it's almost like a family saga of a family coming in and then leaving. Um, yeah. So I'll be very interested to kind of to kind of talk to you more about that. Yeah. Um, yeah, and
1: also one more little. I might have mentioned it last year, but like you know, my mom is truly brainwashed. I, I still love yeah. her, but I feel sorry for her. Like she was sexually assaulted by her stepfather, but she was such a Jehovah's witness that she would let us stay there. My sister, my brother, and I at his house 20 years later, yeah. you know, why, why would you put your, your children in a situation where, you know, you yourself were sexually assaulted as a teenager, but in her mind, she didn't see it like that. So again, I, that's going to be a couple of things I'm going to tell the stories about. So the child abuse in my family where Jehovah's Witnesses goes back 50 years, 1968. Yeah. It's not, a, it's not a recent thing. People think, you know, oh, this is just recent. Just these a couple of bad people. No, this has always been here.
0: Yeah, it's just now finally coming to light. And that's um, because we were we were talking before um, we actually spun up recording because there is absolutely a serious problem worldwide with Jehovah's Witnesses. But it seems like your particular the congregations you are in seem to be even even for uh, JW standards, you seem to be over oversubscribed with child abusers. Um, in a way that's really quite jaw-dropping. There's been so many cases that have sort of come out of your area and that continue to be uncovered kind of month by month, which is a bit jaw-dropping, really.
1: Yeah. So since, since I recorded with you last year, I learned of uh, three more cases that um, happened in my congregations when I grew up, That even though I wasn't involved. So um, somebody has come forward to JW um, Survey and talked to John Redwood and uh, mentioned my father's name. So my father was, wasn't was the abuser, but my dad was on the judicial committee who disfellowshipped her, even though this young girl was molested by an elder in the congregation. So my dad is the one that kicked her out of the congregation. And the funny thing is, my dad, I talked to him one time in the last four years, and he acted like he's never heard of child abuse in Jehovah's organization, but... He, but, you know, mm-hmm. they have selective memory. They'll they'll just forget those things, even though it happened. So in 1984, you know, my father disfellowshipped a uh, teenage girl for being a victim, not the actual person. And mm-hmm. then my 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 coordinator, well, actually, he's my presiding overseer. We learned of, there's two more accusations, you know, of him growing up in another congregation I was in as a kid. So it, it's just sickening. The more I look into it, the more mm-hmm. I can't believe that I, I, it took me till I was 38 to
0: leave. Yeah. And again, I think it's it's one of those things that the, the more we uncover, the worse it gets. But also it kind of highlights the importance, I think, of the work that you're doing and the other activists are doing. And generally the kind of the push to make it harder for, you know, g- groups of any kind to cover up this kind of thing. I mean, I know at the moment in the UK, we've got the ICSA investigation for Jehovah's Witnesses will be starting up very soon. And I'm sure in the UK, that's going to reopen the discussion of mandatory reporting and organizations that, you know, do conceal this stuff, watch, you know, the legal consequences and et cetera. And it's, it's, it's clearly not going to be something that gets fixed overnight, but I think the fact that it's now being exposed means that the, the pendulum has swung and there seems to be a gathering momentum behind the will to both drag this out into the public space and also to do something about it. Yeah. Well, Martin, um, thank you ever so much for coming on the show. It's been great to have you back. Is there anything else you want to quickly sort of chat about or any other places we can find you online before we, before we sign off?
1: Um, yeah, that's, that's, I think I think I said everything I have to say. Um, yeah, so I'm going to be posting another video about my family's experience at Bethel. This will be like in my book, but I I want to tell it's called tales from Bethel land, a little silly, uh, video. Um, uh, Lloyd and other people have been doing very serious videos. I want to just tell a little funny stories that happened at Bethel, showing that it's not the house of God. It's just a place where a bunch of teenagers come. Um, so I'm going to be posting that video. I, my my YouTube channel is John Martin. I just switched my middle name to my first name. So look forward to me something there, and you can follow me on Twitter at I think it's Hawk Martin, H A U G H Martin. Um, and uh, stay tuned for more information about Freedom Run. Again, it's May 10th, 2020. If you can't make it, that's fine. If you can send $1, that's fine. If you, if you just wanna sh- come up and not run, but just hang out with Jehovah's Witnesses, you don't have to pay a penny. You can just come up and, and meet up other actually Jehovah's Witnesses there, have, eat a sandwich and talk and, uh, and we'll share stories. Uh, the place will be right outside Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. I should mention that. So that's where we're gonna be running. So it's, it's a confluence of two major highways. It's very easy to get in and out. There's an airport right there um, if you want to drive or uh, fly in. So that's where we're going to be doing it. And then if this takes off, maybe next year we'll, we'll move to a bigger city. But that's that's we're going to start with humble beginnings right now.
0: <laughs> From humble beginnings grow great things. Yes. Well, Martin, thank you ever so much for coming back on the show. Uh, wishing you all the best spinning this, um, this foundation up. It sounds very exciting. And, uh, yeah, we look forward to checking back in with you um, perhaps early next year to see how it's going. Okay, thank you very much. Thank you for having me. So there we have it. We are back huge thank you to Martin Hawke for appearing on the show. Um, Apologies to him that it took me this long to get the episode out. I'm hoping to avoid a similar delay with our next guest, who is uh, ex-JW Fifth, who will be coming on the show to talk Leaving the JWs and also his uh, music career uh, in the next episode, so stay tuned for that. Until then, uh, have fun whatever you're doing, and we'll speak to you soon.